There's a story of a man who lived in a Catholic neighborhood, but he was born and raised a Baptist. So every Friday night after work, he goes out to his, uh, his backyard, he fires up the grill, and he makes the biggest steak that he could find on the shelf that day. Well, after some time, this begins to start causing some problems with his Catholic neighbors because they're forbidden to eat meat on Fridays, and the delicious aroma of the steak would fill the neighborhood, and it was just causing a problem for the Catholic faithful. And so they finally decided to call and talk to their priest. So the priest comes out, and he visits the the Baptist man, and he suggests that the Baptist man convert to Catholicism to help him better fit in with his neighbors. So the man agrees, and after several classes and much study, he was confirmed into the Catholic faith. As the priest sprinkled holy water over him, the priest said, you were born a Baptist and you were raised a Baptist, but now I declare you a Catholic. All of his neighbors were relieved until the next Friday night when the aroma of the steak once again filled the air. So now they're a little bit angry, and they all call the several people call the priest, and they're angry, and they say, this neighbor of ours, he's out there grilling steak again, and he's a Catholic now. The priest assured the callers, calm down, I'll be right out, I'll figure out what's going on. As soon as he gets there, he walks into his backyard, and he's ready to scold the man for eating meat. But what he's seen made him stop in amazement. There at the grill stood the man. He's clutching a small bottle of water in his hand. As he carefully sprinkles the water over the sizzling meat, as he says, you were born a cow and you were raised a cow, but now you are a catfish. (laughs) Amen. And I guess that's how you beat the system, for those of you that are wanting to know. Uh, You're welcome for the wonderful jokes, by the way. Those are just a bonus for being here. You are truly blessed to have a pastor that tells such amazing jokes. I tell you what. (laughs) Well, let's get started. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I know you guys appreciate them. All right. I should write a book, Pastor's Best Jokes. I'd probably have three in it and it wouldn't sell. So anyway, we're in week three of our series called Beyond the Walls. And the purpose of this series is to help us to stay focused, to stay on mission as a church. And so today I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to explain to you why we as a church do what we do. I've explained this before, explained this a few years ago, but it's, it's important that we understand and we're able to answer this question as a church, why we do what we do. I mean, the big events that we do, the buses that we send into the streets on a weekly basis, the many other outreaches that we have going on throughout the week, why do we do that? I mean, a lot of others don't do that, and that's okay, but it takes a lot of work to do this stuff. It takes a lot of volunteers. It takes a tremendous amount of organization. So why do we do all of this stuff? If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. All of today's notes and scriptures can be found in the events tab of the Uversion app if you are utilizing that. If you need instructions on how to download that, you can stop by the hub after service and pick up the instructions there. So we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to read the first 20 verses here. So this is what it says. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. 
Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have a deep root, it died. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as what had been planted. Then Jesus said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So later, when Jesus is alone with his disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. What did that, par- what did that mean, Jesus? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so the scriptures might be fulfilled When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, verse 13, watch this. Then Jesus said to them, he's looking at his disciples, if you cannot understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all of the others? So he explains it. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those that hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's word. Verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even a hundred times as much has been planted. I'm calling this message today the soil and the seed. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. I ask God that you would give me the anointing that I need to present this great truth in a simple way that is easy for us to understand. And God, that this truth would get down into our spirit. And God, that we would leave this place with a full understanding of how we have a part to play with this parable. God, for, for, for you to get all of the glory today, God, we thank you in advance for changing lives. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus walked the earth, he would oftentimes use stories, or we know them as parables, when he would teach the crowds of people. This one here is no different in the fact that it is another parable, but it is different in matter of importance. As a matter of fact, you've seen that Jesus told his disciples that if they fail to see the truth in this one parable, they will fail to see the truth in everything else. So this parable is of great importance. This parable serves as the foundation to everything. 
So Jesus is teaching on the lake shore by the Sea of Galilee. The crowd around him gets so large that it forces him to get into a boat to set out a little bit, and he starts to teach the people from the boat. Now, this particular story that he tells is very well situated with his audience because it was about a farmer planting seed with the increase of the seed being dependent on the type of soil or the condition of the soil. And at this type, type of time in history, everybody would have understood this because in history at this time, all seed, it was, thrown, it was sown by hand. And a farmer would walk out across his field and he would throw handfuls of seed from a bag that was slung across his shoulders. But no matter how good the farmer was at scattering the seed, there would always be seed that would fall on the rocks and the thorns, seed that would be carried off by the wind and so forth. So what the farmer would do is he would throw a lot of seed in abundance to ensure that the seed would fall, that there would be some seed that would fall on good ground, giving him a good harvest. The farmer's job was to scatter the seed. So using this illustration, Jesus said that some of the seeds that the farmer throws fall on the footpath. Now, a footpath is very hard and compacted soil. Because of that, this soil is very difficult for the seed to penetrate. So the seed just sits on top of the soil, which makes it very easy for birds to come down and feast and steal the, steal the seed away. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with an underlying rock. Unlike the footpath, the rocky places did have a bit of soft soil for the seed to take root, but not much. So you would see the, the seed quickly sprout up, but the sun would take the little moisture out of it, and it would quickly die. Then some seed would fall among the thorns. Thorns rob the sprouts of nutrition, water, light, and space to grow. Therefore, when the thorns grow up, it chokes the seed, and it dies. But then Jesus said, some, soil fell on, some seed fell on good soil. This seed had the depth, the space, and the moisture to make it grow, multiply, and produce a crop. Now, typically, a farmer would consider it a success if his crop would multiply only 10 times. So a multiplication of 30, 60, or 100 times would be an incredible harvest. Now, when Jesus tells this parable, it confuses the disciples. So later, when they're alone with Jesus, they ask him to explain the meaning of it. So he explains that the seed represents the Word of God. The farmer is anyone who brings the Word of God or brings God's message to another person. So practically speaking, in this setting right now, I am the farmer and the seed is the Word of God that I am speaking. So right now in this moment, I am throwing seed. The soil represents the heart of of the person hearing the Word of God. Jesus lists four different soil types or heart types that you will find among people. With that in mind, only one of them bear fruit. Think about this for a moment. Every time you throw a seed, only one and four will fall upon good soil. That is a 75% failure rate. If I told you that if you would give me $1,000 and I would invest it and you have a 75% chance of losing it all, 
would you hand your $1,000 to me? Of course not. Curtis said, nope. (laughs) That'd be ridiculous. In this parable that Jesus tells us, there is a lot of seed thrown that's not producing a crop. There's a lot of seed that seems to be wasted. And when I was a young guy in ministry, this is one of the things that I struggled with the most. I remember the very first church we were at, they held a huge drama production as an outreach to the community. I was the one that was in charge of putting it all together. So we worked on this thing for months. We raised the money. We handed out tickets. We prepared the auditorium for the production. Hours and hours were invested behind the scenes. Then hours and hours of practice. Night after night when we ran that production, that place was packed. It was just a little church, but it was packed. Standing room only, I kid you not. And night after night, I witnessed many people raise their hand and come forward for salvation. Many people came forward to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But then the production ended, and only a few stuck. Now, this really bothered me, because all of that work that I had just done, I felt like it was all for nothing. And so I got discouraged I'm expecting the church to be filled to capacity the very next week, but it wasn't even close. And I remember sitting down with a good pastor friend of mine as I'm sharing my frustration with him, and what he said to me I will never forget. He opened his Bible and he read this parable that I just read to you, the parable of the sower. He talked about the farmer, he talked about the seed, he talked about the soil. You see, he helped me understand something said every night in one of those productions, there was four types of soil present. There's four different heart types present. There's those in the audience that have hard soil. So when the seed hits the soil, nothing happens. The birds came in verse 15. We read, Jesus says that's Satan and stole the seed. These are the people that they see a clear description of the gospel, but they choose not to respond When the altar call is given, there they sit. No no guilt of sin, no need of forgiveness. Their heart is hard. Next, you have those with the rocky soil. He said, these people, you'll see them raise their hand when the invitation is given. They'll confess Jesus Christ as Lord. They receive the message with joy, but the roots don't have a chance to develop, to grow deep. So they they leave and they head back out into the world and then the problems of life hit. Persecution from friends and family starts. They say things like, well, there goes good old Bob again saying he's going to change. We'll see how long it lasts this time. Has anybody ever said that to you? It's discouraging. So they get discouraged and they fall away. Then you have those with thorny soil. He said these people will take it a step further. They'll allow the seed to take root, giving you the hope of a harvest, but then the thorns come. Jesus describes the thorns of the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for nice things. What are these? These are the cares of the world. These people will become distracted by their pursuit of a better life, so they work tirelessly and overcrowd their schedule, chasing a false sense of security. Satan keeps them distracted, so the crop is choked, and eventually the seed that looked promising quits growing. But then he said, Matt, you're going to have good soil when you throw the seed. These are going to be the people that commit their lives to Jesus Christ, and it takes root. These are the people that will become true disciples. You'll see their life begin to change. You'll see them start to serve other people. They'll begin to make a difference, and then you'll notice that their life produces a harvest a hundred times over. 
He then looked at me and he said, Matt, and I'll never forget this, he said, why are you trying to play God? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, your frustration tells me that you think you're responsible for the harvest. You're making yourself responsible for something you're not responsible for. Don't flatter yourself and know your role. You are a seed thrower. Your job is to throw the seed, but only God can make it grow. And a lot of people don't understand this simple concept. I didn't understand it. This revolution, uh, revolutionary idea, I guess, if you'd say that, turned my discouragement into hope. Because now I know my role, and it took a tremendous amount of pressure off of me. I knew my purpose. My hands are not the hands that grow the crop. My hands are the hands that throw the seed. If I plant corn into the ground, I can plant it, and I can water it, and I can care for it, but I cannot force the corn to pop through the soil. I remember trying to invite my coworkers to church, and none of them would ever come. And I would get so discouraged, and I would ask God, man, what am I doing wrong? I'd think that there's something wrong with me, so I just finally felt, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. But then I learned the parable of the sower, and my perspective changed. I realized they were not rejecting me, so I kept throwing seed. This is why when we do a large outreach and hundreds of people raise their hand, they don't all return the next week. That would be awesome. Tell me about it. But that's not the way it works. It's because in a crowd like that, there are four different types of soil present of the heart. There might be a hundred in a crowd of a thousand with good soil. There might be 50 in a crowd of a thousand with good soil. There might only be one in the crowd of a thousand with good soil. It's not our job to sort through the soil. It's our job to throw the seed. And these big events that we do give us an opportunity to throw a lot of seed at one time. This is why I never do a big event without sharing the gospel. We do the event to share the gospel. Sharing the gospel is our why. Now, I know a lot of times people do events and they don't share the gospel, and that's, you know, that's up to them. But me, I feel convicted that we don't do an event unless we share the gospel because then we're just doing an event. When we give away the backpacks, the backpacks are not the why. The backpacks are the tool that we use to get to the why, to share the gospel. The backpacks allow us to throw a lot of seed at once. Our trunk or treat coming up here in just a couple of weeks is only a tool to get to our why. We bring everyone in here before they get the candy and we share the news that has the potential to change their life. But while we're on that, I want to talk about that here for just a moment. Just last week, I had someone call me and tell me their family's leaving the church because of our trunk or treat event. They don't agree that we should use Halloween to share the gospel. That's the devil's day, pastor. Since when does the devil get a day? Why do we give the devil a day? My Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why do we give him a day? He doesn't get a day. You know... <laughs> I get it because I am probably one of the most anti-Halloween people that you will ever meet. 
My kids did none of that. Just ask them. They'll tell you. We didn't go out on Halloween. We didn't get candy. We pulled them out of school every year when they did their costume parties. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Every Halloween, we would shut off the lights, and we would barricade ourselves inside the house and ignore the knocks on the door because that's what I was told the good Christian people do. And I didn't want any part of it. This is for, this is for real. I, we did this for years. I remember one year, we were in Colorado, and God spoke very clearly to me. We, it was a Halloween night. I'll never forget this. As we're hearing the doorbell ring and ring and ring and ring, God spoke to me and said, you know, Every week you go out to the city streets and you pound the pavement trying to get kids to come to church. Tonight you have hundreds coming to your front door and you're ignoring every one of them. Ouch. And I said never again. The next year we had a bucket of candy, first time ever. And we had a a handful of flyers. And every kid that knocked on that door got candy, but they also got a bus flyer. Amen. I'm going to use Halloween as an opportunity to throw seed. I'm not going to waste it. When those kids knocked on the door, we gave them the candy. We gave them the flyer. And guess what? The next day I got several calls. We picked up several new kids and we were able to get them on our bus route and bring them to church. It was the easiest bus visitation of my life. They literally came to my door. I said, I wish I could do this every week. But shame on me. Because I wasted years not throwing seed. And you have Christians that are, that are fighting. I get more slack over throwing seed on this event than any other event. I, and, but the same Christians will let their kids hunt, hunt Easter eggs. You want to talk about that? I won't go there. But we could talk about it. <laughs> I'll never again do that again. I still, do this, I still to this day, I do not celebrate Halloween personally. I never will celebrate it. But I'm going to use it as an opportunity to throw seed. We as a church do not celebrate Halloween. We throw seed. We are using it as an opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The toys we give away, our egg hunt, the food that we give away, all of these things that we have done or we are doing, they allow us to throw a lot of seed at one time. If you read the gospels, you'll see that Jesus always took care of the physical need of people. He would feed them. He would heal them. He would encourage them. You see, you want to know why? Because the physical need is what's most important to you and I. The spiritual need is what's most important to God. I've preached on that before. Eternity, where you spend eternity, is of utmost importance to God before anything else. So what we would see him do is he would take care of the physical need, which is important to us, and that would open the door, allowing him now to address the spiritual need, which is of most important importance. You see, throwing the seed is our why. We do what we do so we can throw the seed. And we are not called to be soil inspectors. We're called to be seed throwers. Some of us spend too much time inspecting the soil of another person, and we should be throwing seed. That church bus from that small little town that used to pick me up when I was a kid was out throwing seed. That bus would pick up a lot of kids. I don't know whatever became of many of those other kids, but this is what I do know. One of those seeds 
that they threw found a root in this heart, and the crop has been a hundredfold from one seed. We are seed throwers. And this is why, I need you to understand this, nearly every week I will do an altar call for salvation because I know my role. I am a seed thrower. You are a seed thrower. You should be throwing seed in your neighborhood. You should be throwing seed in your workplace. Young people, you should be throwing seed at school. One of the ways that we can throw seed is to simply invite someone to church with you. Many of us never invite anyone. There's some people that have been saved for 20 plus years and you've never once given an invite. We've got invite cards now out in the, out in the lobby. We're going to talk about those here in a little bit, man. Take some of those and pass them out. Throw the seed. Give those cards away at the coffee shop. Give them away at the grocery store or wherever else you might be. Throw the seed. It's not hard to give a card. But I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, most of the soil will not be good. But that doesn't mean you quit throwing. You just keep throwing the seed. Throw the seed, but don't put the weight of the harvest on your shoulders. We're not responsible for the harvest. We're responsible for the seed. Listen to what Paul says. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. This is what he says. He said, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Was it Pastor Matt that made it grow? Was it you that made it grow? It was God that made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. That's the most important thing, but that can't happen unless we're throwing seed. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. We sow the seed. Sometimes God will have us come along someone, beside someone and water the seed. This is when you come alongside someone and you become a mentor to them, teaching them the things of God. But I'm going to tell you something. There's been times I've done that in my life and they end up falling away from God because only God can make that grow and they have to come to that place in their own heart. Then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being set? That's sent. That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the hands of those that cast the seed. But getting rejected over and over again can be tough. It's easy for us to feel like we're not making a difference and just give up, but I want to encourage you with something. Here's the beautiful thing about being faithful with throwing seed. Look at this. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30. I've, I've read this to you before. Some of you might remember this, but this is just a great reminder for us who are serving faithfully, those of us who are throwing seed. Now listen to me. Before we read this, I'm going to set the scene. David and his men, they return home after a very long journey. They've been traveling now for about three days, and they're covering about 25 miles a day. So they're tired. When they get home, they're completely exhausted. They're ready to rest. But instead of resting, they find that their city has been ransacked. It's in ruins. It has been completely destroyed by the Amalekites, burnt to the ground. 
rather than killing everyone, the Amalekites take every person in that city as a slave. So David and his men have not only lost their homes, but their families have been taken captive as slaves. Now, as you can imagine, everyone's tired. Emotions are running high. Just picture this scene. Out of frustration, David's men start talking about killing him. After all, he's the leader, and if he didn't have us off doing something else, we could have been here to protect our families. This is all David's fault. You have to blame somebody, and in there, it was easiest to blame their leader. Now, David immediately goes to God and asks him, God, what should I do? Should I pursue the Amalekites? Now, understand, they would have been vastly outnumbered. So they knew that if they would attack, they would be slaughtered unless they seen a miracle. So God gives David the green light. David takes 600 men out to rescue their loved ones. As they're marching along, they come to this huge ravine called the Basor Ravine or the Basor Valley. They get to the edge of this valley and 200 200 of his men are completely exhausted. They can't go on anymore. They're too tired to cross this big ravine. David says, very well. He takes the 400 remaining men. He heads across the ravine. Here's where we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 16. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, these are the Amalekites, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. Verse 18, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and the herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Now, verse 21, then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Basor Valley. So they just fought in this battle. They recouped everything. They're heading back now, and they've met up with the 200 men that couldn't go on. They came out to meet David and the men with him. And David, as David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they didn't go out with us, they will not share with them, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children or go. Basically, all this extra stuff here, these 200 aren't getting, they're not getting anything. We're the ones that did the hard work. Now watch how David responds to this. David replied, no, my brothers. You must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? Now watch what he says. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same, same reward as that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. David made this a statue, an ordinance for, the, for, for Israel from that day to this. You see, the men that stayed behind, they had a role to play as well. They stayed behind with the supplies, which lightened the load of the 400 that went into the battle. The 400 men thought they should get all the plunder and the 200 should get nothing, but David understood something. He understood the importance of a team and the fact that every role on a team is equally important. 
If it wasn't, if it wasn't for those that decided to stay back and protect the, protect the supplies, they would have had to carry everything into battle, and they might have lost. The role of the 200 was just as important as the role of the 400. And because of this, David says, your reward is the same. And there's a truth here that you need to understand. You see, when you do your part and you throw the seed, you share in that reward when the harvest comes. Maybe you invite someone to church with you. You throw the seed. They come. They get their life right with God when I give the altar call. You see, the seed begins to take root. Now, in this case, I'm actually the one that's leading them to Jesus. But if it wasn't for you, they would have never had the chance to hear. So are you ready for this? Your reward is the same as mine. I don't get no some special reward. Your reward is the same. It's a team. This is why I personally love being on a bus. Because it gives me a chance to throw a lot of seed at one time. I have a part to play in bringing them in. So when the harvest comes, regardless if I'm the one preaching the message or not, my reward is the same. Those of you that sow, that throw your seed by serving, your reward is the same because I could not do it without you. If not for people on the worship team, if not for people in the media team running all the media every week, if not for the, the ushers and the greeters and the kitchen workers and the food pantry and clothing closet and the kids and the youth workers, and I could go on and on and on and on. If it wasn't for those people serving behind the scenes, I could not do this, what I'm doing right now. So you share in the reward. All you have to do is be faithful in throwing the seed. Sam, I'm going to have you come on back up if you could. I want you to know that throwing seed should always be on our minds. So I'm going to throw out a challenge today as we move forward. And no one is exempt from this challenge. I want every one of you in this room to get into the habit. I'm going to make it easy of inviting at least one new, church, one new person to church with you every week. And I'm, I'm, making it, I'm gonna make it easy for you. Anybody can hand out an invite card once a week. Go to the coffee shop and you get a coffee. Simple as that, invite card. Now some of you are already doing more now, you're already inviting one, but I, but I encourage, for those of you that aren't inviting anybody, just one a week, let that be your goal, one a week. If you wanna do more, great. Get an invite. So when you leave here today, there's going to be ta there's tables out there. Some of you, I think, have already gotten this stuff, but there's tables setting out, uh, out there where the communion cups were at. There's two things that I want you to grab. Number one is I want you to grab one of these little jars that look like this. It's filled, of, filled full of seeds. And I want you to take this, and you could place it on your desk at work. You could place it someplace at home. Wherever you'll see it, maybe you put it in your car. Wherever you will see it frequently every day as a reminder that I am a seed thrower. I'm a seed thrower. Just as a reminder, take one of those. And then these invite cards that are out there on the tables, they look like this. Got thousands of them that I ordered. I'll order some more if we run out. We should because I want to see these things all over the city. There's no reason these things shouldn't be all over the city if we all do our part and we throw seed. On the back of this card, it explains what we do, and there's a QR code that they scan with their phone, take them right to the website, hear all about us. Throwing your seed could be as simple as in a busy parking lot, just popping it on the ground like that. You never know who's going to pick it up. It might go in the trash. It might get blown away three blocks, ends up in someone's yard. 
and they need a touch from God and they walk out and they see this thing. You never know what's going to happen with that. That's seed. They throw it away, they throw it away. I'm not the soil inspector, I'm the seed thrower. You can hand them in, put them in a, put them in a parking lot. We made it simple for you. One person a week. So today when you leave, I want you to take one of those jars. I want you to take, take a dozen cards or so, ten cards. It'll last you for a while. If we run out, I'm going to order some more. But take some of those cards with you today and make it a point. Ask God when you wake up in the morning, God, who can I hand this card to today? What do you want me to do with this card? He'll talk to you. Ask him. Or that week, who do you want me to give this card to this week, God? Maybe he'll put a coworker on your mind. Simple as just giving them a card. All the information's on there. Everything they need to do, there's a, there's a, this could change your life is what the back says. One person a week, they might say no. That's okay. Because it's not your job to check the condition of the soil. Your job is to throw the seed. You throw the seed. You keep throwing the seed because you never know when one of those are going to take root. And the harvest is going to come. Listen to me. God has used my life literally to win thousands to the kingdom. Guess who's sharing in the reward today? That man that knocked on my door when I was a young kid and invited me to ride that church bus. Because if it wasn't for that simple knock on the door, I may not be here today. I want to encourage you, go out there and throw seeds for the glory of God. Heaven and hell rest on your willingness to throw a seed. To be a seed thrower. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I just pray that this word today will take root into our hearts. God, I'm praying for boldness in your people today, God, to be a seed thrower. God, I believe that there's people in here today that have never given one invite to the house of God. They've never given one invite to the house of God. They've never once shared their faith. And God, today, you're beginning to stir within them the importance of being a seed thrower. And so, God, today, as we leave this place, I pray, Father, that every one of us, as we walk out those doors and we grab this stuff, you would speak to us every week, God. And as we run out of these cards, we come back the next week and we get more. And we just keep throwing seed. And we just keep throwing seed to bring in the harvest. Because, God, I believe the time is short. God, I believe we are nearing closer to your return. And, God, it is our responsibility. How will they know if they don't have someone tell them? So, God, I pray in Jesus' name for boldness for everyone in this room, everyone listening online, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to have you keep your head bowed and your eyes.